0: This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for 2 weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu/dinodig. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week we're recording a little bit early because we're going to be at SVP when we would normally record this episode.
1: Woo woo! Albuquerque! Yeah.
0: So you probably already saw a bunch of things that we put out while we were at SVP. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot of awesome stuff to talk about this week. Because this week we have the dinosaur of the day, Coelophysis, another very important dinosaur. And we also have another new dinosaur as our single piece of news. <laughs>
1: For now, just wait. There will be a whole bunch of news after this week because we'll be catching up on SVP.
0: Yeah, definitely next week there will be a lot. And we are going to review the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom DVD, Blu-ray, bonus DVD situation <laughs> that we got to <laughs> talk about which version you might want to get. But before we do all that, we want to thank some of our patrons who helped us get to SVP, and this week we'd like to thank Lucas and Eli Wyatt, the Georges family, John Heck, Janice Ranger, Chris from Dino for Hire, Ray, Oliver E, Andrew and Helena Webb, Callum, Andrew Barling, and Ricky.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed your postcards and/or coasters.
0: They probably haven't gotten to you yet. Oh well, Sabrina. <laughs> enjoy them soon but yeah they should be getting there soon
1: yeah and thank you to everyone who supported us like Garrett said this helped us get to svp it helps us keep the podcast going and it just makes us feel good
0: so yes
1: <laughs> we appreciate you and if you want to join this group of amazing people then check out our page at patreon.com slash i dino
0: yes and jumping into the news our one piece of news we have a new dinosaur and this one was written by Andrew McDonald and others, and published in Pure J. And it's the second new dinosaur that's been published by the Western Science Center. McDonald also recently published that ankylosaur in Victarks that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. so you may remember his name. And this time they're talking about the discovery of a new tyrannosaurid, not just a tyrannosauroid meaning that it's more closely related to T. rex than some of the other tyrannosaurs we've talked about lately. It's named dynamoterror dynasties.
1: That's a good name.
0: It is pretty good. So Dynamo Terror is from dynamis, which means power in Latin. And apparently terror is just a Latin word already. So oh, that's interesting. why it's just Dynamo terror and not like dynamoterrorus. Or, or something.
1: Dynamo Terrori. Or yeah. <laughs> something vaguely Latinized.
0: Yes. And then dynasties is Latin for ruler, which is similar to the word dynastic that you might have heard also about ruling people. So if you lump it all together, then it means powerful terror ruler. Oh. But really, I always explain the name separately because with dinosaurs, we rarely talk about the species name. So people usually just talk about the genus name, which in this case is Dynamo Terror. And that just means powerful terror. So that's probably what people are going to know it as in the future.
1: Could be. I think it depends on the species name. Sometimes you talk about it a lot like Tyrannosaurus rex.
0: That's literally the only one, though.
1: Mm, good point.
0: <laughs> the only, I should say the only one. There's also Yi Qi, that Chinese dinosaur mm-hmm. that people usually say or sometimes say both of because... Such a short name. Yeah. <laughs> two syllables is still <laughs> easy to do. But yeah, usually it's just like Brontosaurus. People don't throw on the species name afterwards. Apparently, the lead author really liked the name Dynamosaurus imperiosus when he was a kid, which is that junior synonym for T-Rex.
1: I was just about to say, this sounds familiar.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but it was just barely a junior synonym. Remember how like they used both names in the same paper, mm-hmm. but they said T-Rex first, so then that became the official name versus Dynamosaurus. And... So I guess he kind of brought it back with a different dynamo dinosaur. It was found in the Menifee Formation in northwest New Mexico, which I think is the same place as Invictarchs. And again, it's from the late Cretaceous, the lower Campanian, putting it at about 80 million years ago. And there's a really good piece of paleo art that shows it about to bite an ankylosaur, which I'm wondering if it's supposed to be in Victarx. It looked Ooh, like yeah. maybe it is. <laughs> and then there's a couple of turtles sliding off the back of the ankylosaur.
1: Oh no, the turtles.
0: Well, they're clearly out of harm's way in the picture, but true. it does look really well, cool. Well, they're
1: getting out of harm's way anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Also, what were they doing on its back? Is that a thing?
0: Just hanging out. I wonder if it's like an analogy to how turtles are very similar to ankylosaurs or something.
1: Or that turtles have been around forever
0: that too yeah for a long don't time don't
1: forget the turtles
0: <laughs> and yeah so it's a cool piece of paleo art and it was made by Brian Eng, who always makes good stuff mm-hmm. the highlight of this find though is definitely the left and right frontals which they found and basically that's if you put your hand in front of its eyes on the top of its little head there you'd be touching the frontals
1: on <laughs> <laughs> top of its little head <laughs> yeah I
0: guess in this case it's a big head good point <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's basically the only part of the head that they found, unfortunately. But there are similar tyrannosaurs where we have also found those frontals, so we can do some good comparisons. For example, there's a sub-adult T-Rex that's at the Los Angeles County Museum, and they managed to compare it to those and found that they were almost the exact same size and had a lot of the same features. And because of that, they estimated as being about the same size as that T Rex that's in the Los Angeles Museum. And that one's estimated at being about eighty percent of the size of a full size T Rex. And based on that, they assume that Dynamo Terror was about thirty feet or nine meters long, which they say is a medium sized tyrannosaurid.
1: <laughs> Sounds large to me. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I I mean I guess T Rex can get up to about forty feet. They also found fragments of some vertebrae, ribs, and ilium, but just they're all pretty small pieces as well as a few quote-unquote unidentifiable fragments of long bones. So I guess that's like, maybe it's from a femur, maybe not. (laughs) I don't know what this is from, but it's definitely bone. And I think they said it was all from float, which means that it's basically like not articulated. It's kind of random jumbling of fossils, but they do think they're all from the same individual, which is good. They also found toes and a single bone from its hand, so those are probably pretty helpful in identifying it as a Tyrannosaur too, because we all know that Tyrannosaur hands are pretty unique. <laughs> and they had huge feet. So both helpful. Unfortunately, they couldn't compare it to any of its likely close relatives because the known bones of those close relatives don't overlap. And they tried to go back a couple times to find more fossils so that you know, they could solve this problem. They originally collected the bones back in 2012, but then they went back in 2013 and 2018, but couldn't find anything, unfortunately. So what we have is probably what we're going to get. Although there have been teeth and other sort of unidentifiable remains that look like they might be from a Tyrannosaur from that area. So potentially in the future, we might be able to find another specimen or maybe more bones that sort of fill in gaps of this guy. But no matter what, It is a new 30-foot tyrannosaur from 80 million years ago, which is well before T-Rex, which is really cool. It's always nice to see more tyrannosaurs around. Yeah. Because they must have been quite a feature of their ecosystem.
1: (laughs) Very glad they're extinct.
0: Yeah, me too. So now we're going to switch gears into our Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom DVD, Blu-ray, UHD Blu-ray situation review. And specifically, we got the Target exclusive version, which is a Blu-ray, 4K Blu-ray, a digital code for, you know, watching it on, I guess, like an iPad or a laptop or something, and a bonus feature DVD, which weirdly just came in a paper sleeve sort of inside the DVD case. (laughs) It's like, didn't want to splurge for an extra little piece of plastic to mount this on.
1: Nobody cares about the bonuses.
0: I, I guess not. And then also something that they call a 28 page gallery book, which is the thing that makes it a target exclusive as best I can tell, because I believe that all of the special features that are on that extra weird disc thing are available other places too.
1: Well, I like the gallery book because it shows the concept art and then compares it to what happened or what they made.
0: Yeah, it is kind of cool, but it's, I mean, it's kind of... It had to fit in the size of a DVD case, so they had to fold it right down the middle. And the middle is often where the action is (laughs) in the picture. So some of the pictures look kind of less than great when you have it in this book format. Oh,
1: I disagree. I enjoy it. In most cases, the concept art is really close to what made it into the movie.
0: Yeah, I had to go through it a second time to check if it actually was in all cases that the big picture was the concept art and then the kind of little inset small pictures was from the movie, which it is, but it's so similar, like you say, that it's hard to tell, which might be why it doesn't excite me that much because it's like, this is just a drawing version of what I've already seen.
1: Could be. (laughs) But I like the T-Rex drawing actually a lot. That one's slightly different. They've got in the concept art... There's one of the T-Rex, the volcano is erupting, there's lava flowing everywhere, and the T-Rex is standing on top of a Parasaurolophus and roaring. And you've got the gyrosphere, and it's a very dramatic scene. And then the next page shows you a similar stance that the T-Rex is taking. It's a little bit different. I mean, the volcano is erupting, but it's that scene where it's stepping on the Carnotaurus.
0: Oh, gotcha. So it shows that they changed it.
1: A little bit, yeah. And Owen Grady's in the shot, too.
0: Interesting. So I guess there was one in there where the concept art was not the full page. I didn't even notice that that one was a real picture from the movie. Mm -hmm. Oops. Yeah, but almost all of the pictures in the gallery book are from the island, which is nice because that's the part of the movie we liked better because it had more dinosaurs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, anything with dinosaurs.
0: And so, yeah, that was what made our Target special version special, (laughs) which is about 30 bucks I think it's a little bit cheaper if you get the one without the 4K Blu-ray and a little bit more if you get the one with the 4K Blu-ray. And then there's also a Walmart exclusive, which doesn't have a 4K Blu-ray, but instead it has two Funko Pop keychains of Owen and Blue, which is pretty cool. And it also doesn't have that gallery book thing. So if that's important to you, but I think the Funko Pop keychains are probably cooler for most people. And that one's also a little cheaper. That one's 26 bucks. And I think it has all the same special features and everything.
1: It's not much cheaper. Target's 28.
0: Yeah. Then there's also a ton of other combinations, which are cheaper. (laughs) All sorts of price range, because, you know, they have the DVD version, the Blu-ray version, the Ultra HD Blu-ray, and then all sorts of digital copies and a lot of stuff.
1: We were a little disappointed there's no commentary track.
0: Yeah, I always like the commentary tracks, but there's only been like one or two that actually had it and all the other ones don't. There were quite a few cool bonus features though a common theme in it was trying to make everything seem real just like in jurassic park and sort of like in jurassic park combining cgi with puppets
1: Mm -hmm. which was really cool and we couldn't tell the difference
0: yeah, they even showed in one clip. J. A. Bayona was saying that he was watching a review of a scene and he couldn't tell which part was a puppet and which part was green screen because he couldn't remember exactly how they shot it. Yeah, and like where it transitioned.
1: Which is which, exactly what he was going for. Yeah, so.
0: but he was surprised that like he was like, "I should know, I was there," <laughs> <laughs> but I still couldn't quite tell. That's pretty awesome. One thing I thought was interesting was Chris Pratt was saying how they wanted to destroy the island so that they had to move on, so that it was sort of like a new chapter in the Jurassic franchise, which was something I hadn't heard before, mm-hmm. but I think makes a lot of sense when you're talking about developing the story, because now they had gone back to that island a couple times, and also the other island, which they sort of established, was now free of dinosaurs as well. So yeah, it's got to be out in the rest of the world, I guess, from now on unless somebody clones a dinosaur and sticks it back on an island, which I guess is possible. They also confirmed something that we suspected, which was that the stampede scene that was similar to the Gallimimus stampede in the beginning of the movie was intended to be very similar. And they even shot it at the same place in Kualoa Ranch in Hawaii. So it's like,
1: yeah, the Gallimimus stampede from Jurassic
0: Park. Yes. So definitely a a major callback there.
1: There are a bunch of callbacks. We knew most of them but i th- they listed them out or they showed them all in one clip
0: oh yeah like there's one special feature that's jurassic park then and now mm-hmm. and it switches back and forth between the earlier movies and fallen kingdom yeah and shows all like the sort of
1: some of them <laughs> are very subtle
0: yeah yeah but a lot of them are pretty cool there are also a few things from the interview we did with Glenn McIntosh that they showed that we hadn't been able to see before. Like they showed the flaming kitty litter that was used in the baryonic scene mm-hmm. when they were escaping the quote-unquote lava, but yeah. it was really flaming kitty litter.
1: We also saw Glenn in a couple of those shots.
0: Yep. And there's a little bit of an interview with him. They also showed the scene very briefly where the Indoraptor is playing with a skull. So if you know what to look for, you can see its hand on a human skull. Mm -hmm. And we now know that that was supposed to be a trainer that it killed, and it was supposed to be kind of bouncing it off the wall. They didn't really show the bouncing off the wall part, but you can see its hand with the skull, which is pretty cool. There's also a ton of stuff with the puppets, both blue and the T-Rex puppet. I think I might like the T-Rex puppet even better. That thing is amazing. It was
1: so detailed.
0: And so huge. (laughs) And they talk about how they made a spot on it for Bryce Dallas Howard to sit. So it's a little bit softer there. And there's like hidden handholds in the T-Rex head or something.
1: Mm -hmm. Because it's basically bucking her off.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: All the saliva too. I was surprised. I thought that was mostly CGI, but they added a bunch of stuff to the teeth of the T-Rex and the Indoraptor, and basically all of the dinosaurs with teeth. It was a
0: lot of saliva. So that'd be
1: sticky. Oh, and also the the other big saliva scene when Owen Grady or Chris Pratt... Oh,
0: yeah, gets licked. Gets licked. <laughs> by the cytoceratops. <laughs> mm-hmm. They showed that in several of the special features. You could tell they really enjoyed that scene. Mm-hmm. But they said, I think they mixed white and clear slime to give it like an especially like oh, gross yeah. look to it. Yeah, And it definitely worked. One of my favorite parts was they showed... The gyrosphere stampede part where they're rolling down the hill and the three parts that they made it in. So the first one was they're sort of on a car in a gyrosphere that's kind of mounted to the top of it, rolling down the hill, sort of being driven, I guess. And then they built a roller coaster in London, and they put the gyrosphere on the roller coaster so that that part where they're falling off the cliff, they're actually falling.
1: Just the drop part of a roller coaster. Yeah.
0: They're like, you're just waiting at the top until they say action, and then you go flying down it. Yep. So you could tell they were pretty intense. And that worked really well, I thought, in the movie. It came across really intense. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after that, they went to an underwater tank, so they actually had to escape from the gyrosphere underwater. Yeah. And that's also added to the intensity well, of it.
1: that scene, yeah, everybody's holding their breaths mm-hmm. at the same time.
0: Yeah. So that was pretty cool to see the three parts of it that they had to piece together from basically three completely different parts of the world <laughs> in order to make this really compelling scene. But yeah, that definitely worked out. That's one of the best scenes in the movie for sure. Another interesting little insight that they mention in the bonus features is that the Indoraptor is supposed to show that it's sort of a genetic experiment by some of its scales and its skin sort of degrading. So it it doesn't look perfect. And once I mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, now I see it all the time. There's like some scales from the bottom of its head, like on its jaw and Mm -hmm. a couple other spots that are flaking off that you don't see on the other dinosaurs because it's supposed to be this weird hybrid, like maybe they're pushing the limits too far. And then there's also the really fun behind-the-scenes stuff, like the inflatable (laughs) Indoraptor head that they're poking around. And a conversation with Jeff Goldblum, where he said that they almost wrote him out of Jurassic Park and combined him with another character, but then he sort of convinced them to keep him in.
1: Yeah, Dr. Alan Grant's character was going to have some of his lines.
0: Yeah, I'm glad they left him in. Mm -hmm. I think most people are. And another fun little insight was that Maisie and the Indoraptor were supposed to look like the same character in one scene, which is where they're sort of in the diorama and then there's like a lightning strike and you see the Indoraptor's reflection. I didn't realize that their faces are sort of right on top of one another.
1: Yeah. Just subtle things. Also, the music that they used for them.
0: Yeah. They said that they use like a very similar score for the Indoraptor and Maisie. And it's all supposed to be the sort of like questionable genetic engineering theme between the two characters.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is, idea of, well, it's one thing to think about this genetic engineering for dinosaurs, but then what if it applies to people?
0: And they said they want to explore that more in the future movies, which I, I hope they stick to more dinosaur stuff mm-hmm. than people stuff, because we're dinosaur people.
1: <laughs> but they did mention that Maisie plays a big role.
0: Yeah, in the in the next movie. So I guess she is going to be back, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I think the best scenes... At least in terms of the bonus features, where Chris Pratt had this thing called Jurassic Journals.
1: Oh yeah, well he was hilarious in all of this behind the behind-the-scenes
0: stuff. Yeah, and basically the Jurassic Journals are him interviewing random people sort of around the set. So he has his makeup artist, his hairstylist. They show this group called the Edge, and it's this camera crane on a gimbal, sort of pickup driven situation so they could like drive through the forest with the camera sticking out of it and getting really cool shots and also some goofier ones like with a PA and stuff like that but they're all really fun I enjoyed those a lot there's also a really impressive stunt that they show they showed a lot of the stunts And Chris Pratt trying to do one. And one of the...
1: (laughs) He did some of his stunts.
0: Yeah, one of the producers was getting really nervous because they were doing that one where he jumps through the T-Rex jaws pretty early in the shoot. And he he has to go out the back of that semi-trailer right after doing that dive. And he kept falling down. And he said he didn't want it to look like that old trick where you duck out of frame and it's the stunt double dunking out of frame. And then the real actor stands up. So he kept doing it over and over again. And eventually he got it. But they were really nervous he was going to hurt himself. Right.
1: There was also one stunt for that scene towards the end, where the dinosaurs have escaped. Everything's going crazy, and there's that one guy that goes flying and lands. He gets picked on a up truck. by a
0: tyrannodon. Yeah. And dropped on a truck, and they showed him get launched in the air, and they said he gets launched like 55 feet in a second or something.
1: Yep. And he has to land on this tiny padding on the truck.
0: Yep. And it wasn't really padded much either.
1: No. And everybody in this behind the scenes clip sounded nervous and talked about how they were nervous, which I'm sure made him more nervous. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, and if we screw it up, then we got to do it again. Yeah. Like no matter if he gets injured or not, maybe they just tag somebody else in to do it. But that was a pretty intense one.
1: Yep. Just confirms that I could never be a stunt person.
0: Did you think you could?
1: No, but I really know I can't now.
0: <laughs> I I also know that I cannot. <laughs> there are a few cool things about sort of the setting up of the set design also in there. Like they have the six skeletons in Lockwood's estate, and they hired what they called a paleontology exhibit specialist which I'm guessing is just a paleontologist, to set up all the dinosaur displays and take them down within just a couple of weeks, which he said was quite an undertaking.
1: Yeah, the person who helped with that was John Hankla, and we've actually mentioned him before. He and his wife have this giant dinosaur collection that they loan out or rent out to movies nice and other sets. I think They probably used some of their skeletons for the premiere, too. I think they set that up in a few places.
0: Yeah, that could be. I think a lot of the ones that were in this movie were probably unique, though, especially that big Triceratops-ish thing that they had in the middle because it was so not a Triceratops.
1: Yeah, but he has a collection and he's trained in paleontology. So yeah, it was cool to see a clip of him talking about it
0: one last interesting set design thing I thought was that they made a lot of Lockwood Estates hallways a little bit wider so that the Indoraptor could make it through. They would say they would sort of design the set and then they'd test could it make this turn with its huge tail and they go nope and make it a little bit bigger. (laughs) So it's nice that they put him in such like a rich huge estate so that there was room for the Indoraptor to tear through it because if you were in like a regular person's house it would be a lot more difficult to get the Indoraptor. They might have had to creative and make it look like it was a little bit smaller in some scenes than others like you sometimes see in movies. But I think they wanted to avoid that and make it consistent. So that's cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Although there were some scenes where its hands and claws looked ginormous.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't know if it was 100% consistent, but at least in terms of the hallway scale, it was. Mm-hmm. We also tried to do the little blue that comes with it. So basically, you're supposed to scan this code that comes with the DVD, and then you're supposed to have an interactive blue character on Facebook. The augmented
1: reality. We've talked about this before, too.
0: Yeah, but we tried scanning it, and it didn't work for us.
1: Yeah, it it opens in the Messenger app, and it says, get started, and then nothing really else other (laughs) than that you've opened this with the code, and Jurassic World can see that you scanned it. So I'm I'm still waiting to see blue. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Womp womp. Good thing we didn't go through extra effort to get the Indoraptor code, too.
1: Yeah, maybe we missed out. I don't know.
0: Yeah, so overall, I think the special features are pretty cool. It's probably about 45 minutes to an hour worth total, I would say, of special features. Yeah, pretty short. Especially considering they could have easily had another two hours if they just did a commentary Commentary, track. (laughs) But no one likes those anymore, I guess.
1: Maybe they'll wait until Jurassic World 3 comes out, and then you could do a special one Mm. commentary of all three.
0: Yeah, that could be. Or the whole series, all six of them. Mm -hmm. I think the third movie, if I remember right, is the only one with commentary. But yeah, I think uh, if you're really into the movie and you want to see some behind the scenes stuff, it's worth getting. I might not go for the Target one because the gallery book is not that exciting to me.
1: Well, it depends. If you like looking at the artwork, I enjoyed it.
0: It's okay. I think you can find most of it online. But you can also, if you really like the Funko Pops, you can get the Walmart one. Or you could just get one of the ones that doesn't have any special stuff. I think it still has the special features.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison formation known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the salt wash member.
0: Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. (laughs) Oh no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So,
1: oh no, but also, yay. Good for us as scientists.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August
1: 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dino dig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dino D-I-N-O-D-I-G. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be. And now on to our dinosaur of the day, Coelophysis, which was a request from Jeremy via Patreon and also Jurassic One Two Three One Two Five Six. So thanks! Coelophysis was a Coelophysid theropod that lived in the Triassic in what is now the southwestern U.S., also South Africa, and Zimbabwe. The name means hollow form and refers to its hollow bones that made it light. Material from similar animals have been found in some late Triassic and early Jurassic formations. Coelophysis is one of the earliest known dinosaurs. It's small and slender. It was a bipedal carnivore. And it grew up to 9.8 feet or 3 meters long, and it weighed up to 60 pounds or 27 kilograms.
0: Wow, that's pretty big.
1: hmm The type species is Coelophysis Bari. There's a second species, Coelophysis rhodesiensis, and that was formerly known as Meganopsaurus. Other species included Coelophysis longicollis and Coelophysis willstoni, but those are now considered to be synonyms of Coelophysis barai. There's a third possible species, Coelophysis caientacate, which was also previously Megapnosaurus, but not everybody agrees on this. Coelophysis had a similar body shape to other theropods, but with some differences. It had an S-curved neck, and Coelophysis barii had one of the earliest known wishbones in a dinosaur. It also had a long, narrow head, forward-facing eyes, and good depth perception, and vision that was about as good as eagles and hawks. It had a long snout with long fenestrae, the openings, to help reduce weight. And it had blade-like recurved teeth with serrations. These teeth were good for slicing. Coelophyses probably ate small lizard-like animals. It may have been an opportunistic carnivore, which means it would have been a predator and a scavenger. And it was fast and agile and had long legs. It also had a long slender neck and tail. The tail was semi-rigid, so it didn't move up and down. On the hands it had four digits, but only three were functional. Coelophysis also had narrow hips and forelimbs that it could use for grasping. In 2002, Carpenter found that Coelophysis had flexible forelimbs, though they were weak. So that and the fact that Coelophysis had small teeth means that it probably preyed on animals much smaller than itself. They also found Coelophysis to be a combination grasper-clutcher. Coelophysis had narrow feet and three toes on each feet. There's two forms of Coelophysis body types that have been found, gracile and robust. And the gracile form has a longer skull and neck and shorter forelimbs. The robust form has a shorter skull and neck and longer forelimbs. This may be due to sexual dimorphism. The gracile form may have been female. That would have been easier for egg laying. About 50% of the population found was gracile and 50% robust, which further supported this idea of sexual dimorphism. However, Later research found that both species of seal physis had variable growth, and the gracile and robust forms may just have been individual variation.
0: Yeah, then it's just like you draw the line down the middle and you say all the ones on this half are gracile and all the half on this one are robust, but really there's a lot of in between, so it's not so easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's always hard to differentiate between male and female.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Especially with dinosaurs, they have a lot more variability than some modern animals.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Reinhardt and others found in 2009 that a female coelophysis would have laid between 24 and 26 eggs in each clutch. Wow. And they found some evidence of some parental care during the first year of their hatchling's life. Coelophysis grew rapidly, especially during the first year that they lived. They probably reached the full size by the time they were eight years old. Coelophysis was one of the earlier named dinosaurs. It was named in 1887 by Edward Drinker Cope and described by Cope in 1889. David Baldwin, an amateur fossil collector who worked for Cope, found the first bones back in 1881 in the Chinle Formation in New Mexico. Originally, Coelophysis barai* was named Silurus barai*. Cope referred to these specimens as Silurus barai* and Silurus longicollis in 1887 and then reassigned them to Tanistrophaeus later that year. And then in 1889, Cope reassigned, renamed those bones to Coelophysis barai*. The species is named for George Barr, a comparative anatomist who had similar ideas to cope. So Coelophysis has a few synonyms, Longosaurus, Rheoaribosaurus, and Megapnosaurus. The first bones found of Coelophysis were not well-preserved, But then in 1947, George Whitaker, assistant to Edwin Colbert from the American Museum of Natural History, found a coelophysis bone bed of hundreds, maybe over 1,000 specimens, in New Mexico at Ghost Ranch, near where the first fossils were found. Colbert assigned the fossils to coelophysis, so many specimens were found, and then one of those became the new diagnostic specimen for coelophysis. In the 1980s, there were debates that the first Coelophysis specimens were not diagnostic by themselves, meaning it's not it's just not enough to go on.
0: Yeah, not unique enough compared to other dinosaurs.
1: Mm-hmm. And that other specimens, therefore, couldn't be applied to Coelophysis bari. And then in 1991, people were saying that the Ghost Ranch quarry specimens could be Rhea or However, the fossils from Ghost Ranch were called Coelophysis in most scientific papers, which would make switching them to Rio confusing, so there was a petition to change the type specimen of Coelophysis to one of the Ghost Ranch specimens. The ICZN voted to make one of the Ghost Ranch specimens the new type specimen and declared Rio Aribosaurus a gnomum rejectum, which means rejected name, hmm. and Coelophysis became a gnomum conservatum, which means conserved name. Interesting. Yeah, they step in a lot. It's interesting to hear these stories.
0: There are a lot, and they're kind of inconsistent in terms of, we usually simplify by just saying the oldest one wins, mm-hmm. but then there are a lot of exceptions.
1: Right, especially for these dinosaurs that were found in the 1800s.
0: Yeah, and for ones that are really iconic or well-known, or in this case, all over the literature.
1: hmm So based on the finds of the Ghost Ranch Bone Bed, Coelophyses may have hunted in packs. There's no direct evidence that Coelophyses hunted in packs, just that they were buried together.
0: That's typically what we see. That's basically the evidence for a velociraptor and those similar dinosaurs, too. It's A like lot
1: of the theropods, yeah. They
0: died together, so they probably lived together. And since they eat meat, they might have gotten that meat together.
1: Right, especially <laughs> when you see ones that are different ages. Mm-hmm. But it's possible that they died together because they all drank at a water hole, or they went to go eat some fish and then died by a catastrophic flash flood, or maybe there was a drought.
0: Yeah, or even they were just drawn to an animal that one of them killed. And then died together.
1: 30 specimens of Coelophysis rhodegensis were found together in Zimbabwe, but there's no direct evidence of pack hunting. They may have also died from a flash flood. In 1969, Mike Roth described Syntarsis rhodegensis, and Syntarsis means fused ankle. Michael Ivey and others who studied beetles found that Syntarsis was already the name of a beetle that was named in 1869. And because Ivey and his team figured this out, they were able to rename the dinosaur, and they named it Megapnosaurus, which means big dead lizard.
0: (laughs) That's really funny.
1: Understandably, Mike Roth did not like this. Ivy and his team did not contact Roth beforehand to tell him either. So in 2004, Roth argued that Magnopsaurus, or Syntarsis, was a junior synonym of Coelophysis, and then others agreed in other papers throughout the years. In 2005, Yates found that Coelophysis and Magnopsaurus were nearly identical and suggested that they synonymize them. In 2004, Tykowski and Rowe found it to be also found it to be synonymous with Coelophysis, and they confirmed this in 2007 by Escura and Novas. In 2000, Downs found that another dinosaur, Camposaurus arizonensis, was a junior synonym of Coelophysis bari, though in 2011, Martin Escura and Stephen Brusati found Camposaurus was distinct enough to be its own genus, though it was closely related to Coelophysis rodigensis. Professor Mignon Talbot found a specimen in 1911 that she named Podocasaurus holiocensis that for a while was considered to be related to Coelophysis, but now some people think is actually a synonym. Some scientists think that Coelophysis bari is the same as Seelophysis rhodigensis, which used to be Syntarsis, also known as Megap- Megapnosaurus. It's
0: getting complicated.
1: It always is with these older dinosaurs. That's
0: very true. Especially with this pre-internet stuff. It's like no one could just Google it to see if that name had been used before. So you get a lot of these, oops, I named that dinosaur and it was already a different animal. So now people probably never make that mistake.
1: Hopefully not. <laughs> Don't know for sure. But in 2000, Downs and then in 2004, Tykowski and Rowan, also Bristow and Roth, found that Coelophysis bari is different from Coelophysis rhodegensis. Coelophysis was thought to be cannibalistic based on juvenile specimens found in the guts of some of the specimens from Ghost Ranch.
0: It's pretty good evidence.
1: Yes, but in 2002, Robert Gay found that this was misinterpreted. Instead, the juvenile coelophysids were small reptiles. Oops. And Nesbitt and others supported this in 2006. In 2009, Reinhardt and others re examined a specimen and found teeth and jawbone fragments in and around the mouth that were, quote, morphologically identical, end quote, to juvenile coelophysis. In 2010, Robert Gay found that the volume of bones was 17 times greater than the maximum estimated volume of a coelophysis stomach, and also found an absence of tooth marks, and that the juvenile bones were deposited stratigraphically below the animal that ate them.
0: Meaning that it was older, so something else died on top of it.
1: Yes. He found that the position they were found in were a, quote, coincidental superposition of different sized individuals, end quote.
0: So Robert Gay is really standing up for the Coelophysids trying to show that they're not cannibals. Not
1: cannibals. No. <laughs> Coelophysus lived in what is now New Mexico in a warm monsoon-like climate. Coelophysus lived among desert dunes. Coelophysus was the second dinosaur in space after Myasauro. There's <laughs> a Carnegie Museum Coelophysis skull that was on the Space Shuttle Endeavor mission STS-89 in January 1998 was also taken to the space station Mir before going back to Earth.
0: That's really interesting. I guess it makes sense because it's a relatively small skull. Mm-hmm. Taking out Myasaur, that's kind of crazy. That's a pretty big one.
1: Mm, not that big.
0: Big old Hadrosaur.
1: Yeah, compared to something like a T-Rex.
0: Oh, it could be bigger. That's true. Yeah. But every pound counts when you go into space. True.
1: Ceilophysis is the official state dinosaur of New Mexico and is the logo of the New Mexico Museum of Natural History. And Ceilophysis bari became New Mexico state fossil back in 1981- And if you want to see Coelophysis, you can see it in the first episode of Walking with Dinosaurs.
0: It's a good one. And our fun fact of the day is that dinosaurs likely had nictitating membranes. If you're not familiar with those, they are crazy. (laughs) Birds have them, as well as some other reptiles. Basically, it's an inner eyelid that goes horizontally rather than vertically along the eye. And they make dinosaurs look and other animals look really creepy because humans don't have them. So when you see this extra eyelid, sometimes aliens in sci-fi movies have them too, just to look extra creepy. And obviously we think the dinosaurs might have had them because birds do and some other reptiles. So there's probably a common ancestor that had it. And also because of that, the Indoraptor puppet (laughs) in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom had a nictitating membrane actually in the puppet that they could trigger.
1: Yeah, it was really cool to see.
0: It was crazy. I mean, that's, uh, those are some amazing puppets that they'd managed to squeeze that in there. But yeah, so that was a likely real thing that something like a T-Rex or something might've had. And they it basically serves the same purpose as an eyelid. It can protect it and it can also moisten it. And in crazy cases, certain birds cover their eyeball with the nictitating membrane and it works almost like goggles. It helps them focus underwater and keeps the eyes in good condition and things like that. So pretty cool.
1: And that wraps up this episode of I know Dino. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our new episodes. Also check out our page at patreon.com slash InoDino for some cool rewards. Thanks for listening and until next time.